Welcome to the first episode of the Dragonlance Hangout series, the sort of new version of the Dragonlance Hangout uh, that you've seen before in the past. My plan here is that in the future, I'll probably have people joining me randomly. Uh, maybe if you want to join me in the live chat, we can just sort of riff a little bit. But the idea is just to sort of hang out and have a good time chatting a little bit of Dragonlance. And that could be from random news that doesn't really deserve its own, you know, video or maybe it's just speculation or just having a little bit of fun. Anyway, it is Lenara's Brook Green the 19th. My name is Adam. Now, before I get into today's hangout, I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the links in the description below. You can always pick up Dragonlance Gaming Materials using my affiliate links also in that description below. Okay, again, this is just meant to be a little bit of fun. So pull up a seat, grab a drink. I just got a bunch of water in the moment. It's a little early for anything harder, but I have been known to tip one back in the early afternoon. Day drinking is, um, I think, wildly underrated. <laughs> it's, it's part of what makes life fun, especially on the weekend when you have literally nothing to do. Like me right now. There are things I could be doing, but I'd rather hang out with you guys. <laughs> so anyway, Malcolm, thanks for joining the live in chat. And anyone else wanted to um, chime in in the chat, we really do appreciate you over here. All right, so let's start by explaining what is this new iteration of Dragonlance Hangout. Because as soon as YouTube announced that they were going to be promoting podcasts from YouTube channels into their music feed, I thought, you know, there's a couple Dragonlance podcasts that I listen to, but I could just do like a casual weekly Dragonlance show and just hang out with all of you and just have a good time and chat about whatever the heck we want to chat about in the context of Dragonlance. So there's a bunch of stuff that I want to get into, but I, I, I want to sort of frame how this is going to go moving forward. Now, like I said at the very top, some time to time I may have a guest with me. It might be someone that I've had on the show before, maybe someone I've played the games with that you see in the gaming playlist. Um, maybe it's going to be someone brand new and just, you know, chat and chill and have a good time. Other times I'm going to be doing the game show, the trivia show. Now I... I actually don't know why, though I do know at least one person, possibly more, has a problem with the name Taz's Toenails as the title of the game show. Someone has got to inform me. What is wrong with that weird name for a game show? I think it's hilarious. I think it's goofy. It's fun. And the whole premise of the Taz's Toenails game show is going to be uh, me hosting a very sort of Jeopardy-like um, two other players from you guys, the audience. And so I'll give everyone a, you know, a week's heads up about when it's going to air. And uh, so I can sort of, you know, try to wrangle two contestants together. And then ultimately, the entire premise around this game show is going to be getting rid of Taz's toenails. So everyone starts with 10 toenails. Taz has 10 toes, everyone gets 10 toenails. And as you answer a right question about Dragonlance trivia, you get rid of a toenail. For every toenail you get rid of, I'm going to pay the winner a dollar. And so it's not like massive amounts of money, but it is a little bit of fun with a little bit of Skrilla on the other side for the winner of the contest. Again, it's just meant to be a goofy, stupid fun. It's not supposed to be serious or dramatic or anything like that. And then there'll be probably three rounds of increasingly difficult questions. And then there's going to be a sort of a bonus round where you get to pass off more toenails to the other person by getting whatever that answer is correctly. So it'll be two people, head to head, see who gets rid of their toenails first. And that's really it. Just stupid, goofy fun. Does that sound like something that you guys would want to participate in or, or watch? Because it's certainly something that I don't know, seems like, uh, you know, it's been missing in Dragonlance. Just a nice little trivia game centered around goofiness and fun. I think a lot of times, fandom in general, certainly also Dragonlance fandom, people can take things a little too seriously. They, you know, not just life, which, yes, they can actually take life way too seriously. But in general, people take Dragonlance way too seriously because, and I understand why. I do too in some level. Of, you know, like we, we attach 
important moments of our youth because most of us grew up with Dragonlance. In our informative years, we uh, like read Dragons of Autumn Twilight and then, you know, we sort of grew up with that as a sort of foundation of knowledge through, you know, that we sort of then propelled with us throughout the rest of our lives. Now, it doesn't mean that it's the only thing, clearly, that's important to us, but people get very, very sentimental and crazy about it. From the way that they pronounce specific words to um, story beats that they prefer should have happened in a certain way, or maybe it's a character that they desperately love and they just can't abide other people saying anything negative about. I've run into it all running this channel. And I just personally think that everyone needs to chill out. <laughs> It's just a, it's just a setting to have fun, you know, with, and that's really all it is. It's, it's supposed to be a game. I, I think oftentimes, especially when, like, my approach with Dragonlance has always been, I want to celebrate all aspects of it. So you've got your poetry, your literature, your recipes, uh, the games, the variation of games from computer to tabletop, board games, etc., um, and then just the deep dive of lore and then, you know, the novels and stuff. There's just so much in the Dragonlance world to explore that I don't like the idea of pigeonholing it to one person's interpretation or one singular experience. Ultimately, I think that's why I'm playing the role-playing game in 5th edition. Because if I'm 100% honest, I do not enjoy 5th edition Dragonlance. I don't enjoy it at all. Um, and I'm going to get into that. So there's three things that I wanted to really sort of check off today in today's Hangout. First of all is just introducing the series. Second is introducing myself to some of you who may not know who I am. Um, you may not have seen interviews that I've done in the past with people that, you know, where I sort of reveal a little bit of information about behind the scenes, you know, who I am and stuff in my life. And then I want to do the, my favorite edition of Dragonlance is this sort of theme why it's my favorite edition, why I prefer to play that way, etc. And ultimately, I think it's important that everyone understands that if you disagree with me or anyone else, that's okay. We don't have to get along. We don't have to agree on everything. But we can agree, if you're watching this in any ways, that Dragonlance is a really special uh, intellectual property, and it's one that we all celebrate in our own individual ways. And hopefully that's why you're here to celebrate it. So that's what I want to do uh, with this series is just get to know some more of all of you who love Dragonlance, share my passion with you and have you share it with me. And of course, anyone watching this live or after the fact, and then experiment with ways of entertaining each other while still maintaining that central core of uh, Dragonlance as the, the sort of the glue, as it were, to this discussion. So you feel like, honestly, you don't think Dragonlance has ever allowed the room to breathe as a setting like others, large and fleshed out ones, or multi for multiple reasons. Hey, well, great name. Thanks for joining live. Um, for good or bad, it's linked to those books. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, and that's, I think, I want to talk about that for a second, so thanks for bringing that up. Um, allowed the room to breathe. So the idea, I think, behind that, and maybe clarify if, if I'm getting this wrong, uh, and people only ever think of that time period. Yeah, for sure. Because Dragonlance started in the War of the Lance era, when most people think of Dragonlance, of course, this depends on when you got into it, clearly, but, you know, for the first 20 years or, you know, 15 years of Dragonlance, I think most people thought of it in terms of War of the Lance era. And so when you go beyond that, you know, you go beyond the Legends trilogy, for example, because it's sort of... It's different. It's uncomfortable. Like, when I first started coming into the idea of Dragonlance, it was through Dragons of Autumn Twilight, but there's this promise of this greater war out there, right? There's a promise of people riding dragons. Like, when I played Dungeons & Dragons as a kid, the goal was to kill a dragon in a dungeon. It wasn't to fly on a dragon. And then, have dragon aerial combat. That's the most exciting notion I could have ever had as a little kid playing Dungeons and Dragons with that red box that came out. And yet that's what Dragonlance promised. But we don't really get that. 
we certainly don't get it in any of the the modules that I've played thus far. It's all like I've never run through the original DL modules. It's something that I am going to be doing on this channel, a hundred percent for sure. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But that idea of of riding dragons and going into aerial combat in a wartime scenario on Dragonback is an incredibly exciting one to me. And so that was the promise of Dragonlance over other settings. Other settings, it was always trying to kill dragons or you never even really saw them because they were way too dangerous. And, you know, it, it was just hard enough going through a dungeon, let alone setting up a whole war. Like, that's that seems like so much work to do that as a dungeon master, especially as a young kid. So it's just not something I ever really got into and really explored. Dragonlance gave me that option, presented outlines for how to handle it, and so I immediately just fell in love. But yeah, as far as giving the, the, the campaign a little bit of room, because we had so many events piled on top of each other back to back, because TSR wanted to continue making money with the IP, we never really had time to just sort of sit and rest, you know, even when it was period of time between first edition and second edition where there was a little bit of breathing room, the story continued to evolve. You know, we went right from the heroes finishing their journey, the legends hitting to tales where they immediately introduced Palin Majir. And so we're pushed off to this whole new generation without being able to really marinate in the aftermath of Raceland trying to be a god and what the land felt like of Ancelon or Abensinia or wherever um, in that era. And as long as the novels continued to propel the series forward, which they did, we as players always expected to try to keep up. At least, you know, this is just how I interpreted it. Let me know if you feel differently. And so because we're constantly trying to keep up with the novels, that forces the timeline forward. You never really get to just sit and relax and enjoy it. You know, there's good and bad there because obviously moving forward and, and having the timeline move forward means great controversy and events happening that you can then play in your own games. Like, you know, if you wanted to do the Chaos War or um, if you wanted to uh, deal with Dragon Overlords and such. But if you just wanted to sort of hang out in post-war Ancelon, you got like a 30-year period and that's it. <laughs> because it didn't just begin and end with the books. TSR then started pushing out gaming materials that echoed that. And then they pushed out gaming materials that had nothing to do with anything, seemingly. You know, that, that um, flew in the face of established canon. And this, that's another idea. I'm probably going to save that one for a different conversation, a different hangout. Uh, but canon, as far as Dragonlance, is a gigantic mess. <laughs> totally. So, Apocalypse Dan, thanks for joining live. Uh, the book was your introduction to the module artwork and finally the AD&D source book. We're all way later. Yeah. Well, it's really inter interesting too, in my opinion, because as soon as you start talking Dragonlance, when people go back and say, well, you know, my favorite edition, you know, maybe it's uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, they often talk about DLA, Dragonlance Adventures, that book. But that book came out at the tail end of first edition when it was actually 1.5 edition. So first edition had you know your your three core books which were more than anything just what was the most important part but then they released oriental adventures and that added non-weapon proficiencies and it added, in unearthed arcana added a whole bunch of other uh player options and dungeon master options to the game that just weren't there before and it fundamentally changed how we as players interpreted options for our characters or choices that our characters could make. Now I'm going to get into that here in just a second, but it completely recontextualized the game by saying, instead of whatever you can imagine you can do into, well, this is what my character sheet says I can do. And those are two wildly different play styles. One is very, very restrictive and the other is very, very open-ended. Some people prefer those restrictions and some people don't, but ultimately that forced Dragonlance from being more open-ended to very hyper-focused. Because when DLA came out, it came out with non-weapon proficiencies, and that was not a thing until Oriental Adventures. So 
when I think of Dragonlance, I think of Dragons of Mystery, DL5. That was the very first source book that ever came out. And it was, you know, right at the end of DL4, obviously, in sequence. But that was just a sort of a, a primer for what Kryn and this campaign setting is. So you can see almost everything that's in DL5 in Dragonlance Adventures, plus a bunch of extra stuff from AD&D 1.5. But again, it changes the way that you play the game. It changes the way that you think about the game, for better or worse, depending on the player. Um, so not necessarily in the same time as the main characters, it's better to dance around the main story and let players have big impacts without being the book characters, but still orbiting them. Yeah, I agree. I, whenever I ran Dragonlance campaigns in the War of the Lands era, we were doing it because we loved the novels, right? And so my players would re be running events parallel with the Heroes of the Lands. So our first adventure, they were literally out fishing as the Heroes of the Lands were fleeing from Solace on Crystalmere Lake, like running away from the goblin hordes. That was our first adventure of just watching this going, oh, we need to get out of here. That's a lot of goblins. We don't want to be involved in this. And it sort of spiraled out from there, but it was always in parallel because what I didn't ever want to do was change the events of the novels that we desperately loved because that would then potentially change what Dragonlance meant to us. And that's a dangerous thing for an IP, right? Because that, that limits the amount to, to what uh, Eswald was speaking to in the very beginning of this conversation. It limits what you're capable of doing as a player. And I know I've, I've run into so many gamers who have said that they've had players leave because when they were playing the original DLA adventures, if you're playing Raceland and you don't play him like the book narratively tells him to be played, then it's not the right character and you're doing it wrong and they storm off in a huff. I mean, you can't blame anyone but the authors, Weiss and Hickman, for that problem. Now, they wrote those novels in order to sell the game materials that they were writing. They never expected at the time for those novels to then be the rule that you're supposed to be playing. And they, the whole time, they're saying, no, no, don't do that. We, we're, in, we're Intentionally, we're leaving out bits that are in the modules from the novels so that you can play the game how you want to be playing it. We just want to present you with a narrative to explain what it could be like. But we as readers, we as gamers, we're so hyper-focused and arguably single-dimensional-minded that if we see it played one way and we like it, we have to play it that way all the time. And again, that is very limiting. For instance, being in Zach Saroth and seeing a wounded, feverish Riverwind nearly died at the steps of the Temple of Mishakal and helped him inside, then distracting Cassanth and the Draconians. Yeah, man. I mean, it, just how you want to play it is infinitely the most important thing while still maintaining that essence that drew you to the game uh, campaign in the first place, right? Um, all right, so let me give you a little bit about myself because this is you know, going to be a more of a podcast-like conversation sort of approach. So again, very casual. I'm, I'm not going to be going deep dives in lore or anything like that. We're just sort of going to do surface level stuff and just sort of chilling and having a good time. Um, I'm married. I have two beautiful kids. One's grown-ass adult, a Marine. The other one is uh, growing up. <laughs> She's at an age where she doesn't really want anything to do with me, which kills me inside as a father. But I know kids need to, you know, become their own selves. I was the exact same way. So seeing it through those lenses, it takes the sting off a little bit. But like I used to walk my daughter because the school that she would go to in elementary school, it's just down the street. And so it didn't matter if it was raining or snowing or anything. We would just walk hand in hand with an umbrella or with jackets or whatever and just walk her to school every day. And it was the greatest part of my entire day for all of the years that I was able to do that. And then as soon as middle school hit, she wanted nothing to do with me. And I knew it was coming, but nothing prepared me for the sting. You know, the hurt, the pain when she said, I don't want you to walk me to school anymore. You're just like crushed. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. It's the most painful thing. I've been married for well over 23 years. Uh, my wife and I dated in high school and stuff. Um... And so, uh, you know, when we were dating, I was in this garage band 
and with a bunch of friends, they owned a graphics sign shop. And in the loft above the shop, we would practice our music. And then after we were done and tired, we would have his older brother buy us a case of natural light, which was gross, uh, beer. And then we'd just drink and play Dungeons and Dragons. Like that is that was my entire high school life. You know, in junior high and middle school, I would drag all of my friends over to my house and we would just be playing in my unfinished basement, acting out scenes as we were rolling dice and, you know, playing the, the red box Dungeons and Dragons set and just having a good old time. And it was just that moment of sort of testing the waters of storytelling, testing the waters of uh, identifying with a particular role, a character, uh, thinking in terms of the character rather in terms of you, um, those those conscious uh, imagination exercises were what really put me where I am today. Better or worse? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's see, uh, Malcolm. It would be a Game of Thrones type series to do it justice. How do you feel about Joe Manganiello possibly pushing the Dragonlance movie T series TV series forward? I'm going to talk about that in just a second. So I always forced my friends to play Dungeons and Dragons. And then, you know, we, we got, I met a bunch of friends who loved Dragonlance. And so we started playing uh, second edition with them and, you know, just sort of spiraling out. I tried to get my wife to play with me a couple times and she went through the motions because she liked me, but she never really got into the whole storytelling side of it. And so it was kind of boring for her, which, you know, no harm, no foul, whatever. She still married me and you know, she puts up with me playing games like this online and stuff. But I've been playing my entire life. You know, I had a hiatus where I was in the army for five years. That was like 20 years ago when I first went in the army. So it's a long time removed from me now. But it's, it's just one of those things that has always come back in my life. I've always come back to Dragonlance. I've always come back to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, in fact, one of my really, really good friends, I was his best man at his wedding just a few years ago. Maybe it was more than a few at this point. But um, we had met on the Dragonlance Nexus forums. I had put out something saying, hey, need players in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. And he replied. And we ended up being really good friends for a really long time. We sort of you know, disconnected. And that's sort of how some friendships go from time to time. But it was awesome. And that was the era where we were playing uh, 3.5 edition and we were getting the modules directly from Sovereign Press and Margaret Weiss would sign them and stuff. And I felt like a damn rock star coming over to the gaming group going, check it out, Margaret Weiss's signature. Ah, and we're all like freaking out. It was just a lot of geeky fun, you know, such a good time back then. Um, okay, so uh, let's, anyway, that, that's sort of my background. I started doing this channel because one, I love Star Wars. I, I had been running another YouTube channel for a little over a decade, and I just kind of got tired of doing it. Um, I, I didn't have uh, the audience that I had on this channel. It wasn't far from it. But I just, I just sort of got tired and burned out, and I didn't want to do it anymore. So I thought, I, I need to keep myself busy. I read a lot. I have hobbies. But if I'm not constantly busy... Um, you know, sort of like behind the scenes of, of who I am. Uh, my father was an alcoholic and it's something that has just that addictive personality. If I'm not actively doing something, I feel like I need to, I need to get high or I need to suspend my reality. I, I need to do something. And so in order to prevent all that, I focus on hobbies and that helps my mind you know, sort of narrow in and stay away from the really bad stuff. And I don't know, that's just my own personal hell that I have to deal with. And so I knew I needed to have a new hobby and I needed to focus on something brand new. And I didn't see any dedicated Dragonlance channels on YouTube at all. And I thought that was a travesty. Like, I know that Dragonlance Nexus had a YouTube channel, but they didn't really post anything to it at all. And it's certainly not with any regularity. And so I thought, well, if no one else is doing it, I'll do it till someone does it better. And so I just started doing the channel. My initial idea was never to show my face and just to have it be lore videos. But the more I started wanting to talk to people, the more I wanted to start sharing stories and even get into gaming and stuff, it became ridiculous not to show my face. So I don't know, maybe like three months later after starting it or maybe six months later, I, I just you know got on camera and did it. 
Thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate that. With the upcoming D&D movie, which is providing, uh, which is providing, proving to another joke. What? Maybe Hollywood stayed away from Dragonlance is a blessing. You know what, Ryan? You may be very well right. There has never been a good Dungeons and Dragons movie. Never. So if this one that's coming out ends up being good, it's going to be the first. hundred percent. Which is kind of weird, right? I mean, why hasn't there been a good Dungeons and Dragons film? There's great fantasy films out there. I just, I don't know why there's not a good Dungeons and Dragons one. It drives me crazy. And then on top of that, trying to get it to be a Dragonlance version where you have epic armies and evil surrounding and, and sort of taking over the land. And maybe it's because it's too adult in concept. Maybe it's just too heavy on CGI, which is why we've never had one. But with the look of every Dungeons & Dragons movie thus far, I too am very glad they haven't tried to do a Dragonlance movie. We are at a place now, however, where I think we could pull it off. You know, after watching all of Game of Thrones and then watching the first season of House of the Dragon, the prequel to Game of Thrones on HBO, I think they could pull off a War of the Lance on camera in a series in a very exciting way. I don't know if Joe Maganello is the right person to head it up because passion is one thing. Being able to pull it off is entirely different. So I, I'm not sure that he's the right one because I've never seen him lead a project before. I've just seen him cameo in different series. I, I would like to think that he could do it and hopefully he could get a team around him that could definitely do it. But as we saw with the animated short or the animated film, no Dragonlance is better than bad Dragonlance <laughs> because it just makes them not want, makes the studios not want to produce more content because it flops, but it didn't flop because of the IP. It flopped because of shady ass animation and chopping up and rearranging of the story. If you just stayed true to the actual book, you've got a gold series on your hands. It's insane to me that anyone would ever think of changing the story. It's crazy. Uh, Yan, how you doing? Thanks for joining live. And these same quality writing, directing, casting, and costumes. Otherwise, they'll look cheap and cheesy. Yeah. Um, I would love... Uh, here's something that I, I don't want... I would hate to see them do. And I am not one of those people that rails against and incorrectly uses the word woke culture. I am someone that is uh, worried that people will try to push messaging with a modern sensibility that is outside of the context of the IP. For example, Gold Moon and Riverwind. <laughs> so... These are supposed to be plains people. They're supposed, you know, they're inspired by native peoples. I would hate to see them completely change those two characters because they don't want to offend, potentially offend or have people claim to be offended on behalf of others. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wouldn't want anyone approaching Dragonlance in that way. I think everyone who watches, whether it's a TV series or a film, is adult enough to understand, I would like to think this, this might just be solipsistic of me, that is a fantasy show. It's not real life. We're not trying to tell a historically accurate human earth story. We're telling a fantasy story. So you can use whatever tropes work, whatever moves the narrative forward, and just tells the story that we know and love without changing it on the chance that someone might be offended. I think that is the, that's the worst part about our culture. We don't all have to agree with things. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining live. What's up, Dungeon Questing? How you doing? Um, but we shouldn't dismantle <laughs> an IP simply because you don't like how it, like it ended up. Go to another IP. Enjoy what you're happy with. Don't destroy what you're unhappy with because chances are other people might like it. Now, it doesn't make them racist or bigoted, 
It just means that they like that fantasy, i.e. not real, story. That's it. Hey, thanks, Chris. I appreciate you, man. All right, what else we got here? Um, you actually changed your mind on D&D movie. It's going to be silly dumb, but you think it's coming from a better place than the early 2000s movies. I'll tell you this about the Dungeons and Dragons movie that I'm terrified of. Um, I watched the Rings of Power series. I didn't hate it. I've never read Cimmerillion, so I don't really know the lore that's supposed to be told. Um, I saw the flaws that were very apparent in the series, but it was beautiful, and I didn't think the story was that bad. I actually really liked the relationship between um, Elrond and Durin. I thought they were like a great buddy cop team, <laughs> which, again, you know, I'm not, I'm not precious about Lord of the Rings, so I don't, I don't know if it's, you know, blasphemy or not. I watched the Willow series, and I wanted to pull my eyes out of my face. <laughs> I thought it was a tragedy because I am very precious about Willow as an IP. I'm probably one of the only five people in the world that care about it, but I am. So if they did to Willow, I'm sorry, if they did to Dragonlance what they did to Willow, I would be infuriated. I would probably stomp my feet, hold my breath, take my balloons and go home. <laughs> like, I couldn't handle it, you know, because they would have straight up ruined it. And the thing is, is like, it's okay to adjust elements for the era. That's normal. But to fundamentally change them, that's the problem. Because what's strong, and we saw this, we saw this in Dragonlance with 5th edition. Once you fundamentally change aspects of an IP in order to fit something new, it completely breaks down the strength of that IP. So for Dra uh, Dragonlance, without magic being controlled by the Orders of High Sorcery, with sorcery and warlocks and mages and wizards all casting magic willy-nilly, well, then you fundamentally lose the aspect of magic being this rare controlled entity. You know, this incredibly powerful entity that needs to be controlled. Um, anyway, that's that's my thought on that. I, I'm hoping that Maganilla can do it justice. I'm hoping that they stay simple and they just tell a meaningful story. And I think a really good example of that is The Last of Us. The Last of Us series didn't, what, it was like eight episodes, nine episodes, I think. But it was beautiful. It was emotionally resonant. It forced you to care about the characters. And I genuinely loved it. If they could have that hyper-focus on character development in Dragonlance based around the Heroes of the Lance, focusing on the, the dynamic between Tannis Half-Elven being desperately in love with Kitiara, who doesn't really love him in return. She just uses men to get a foothold into the next position of power. His childhood infatuation with Lorelantha Asakanen and her need to be loved by him, but him spurning her. If you could get that dynamic on a very, very personal, intimate level, that could propel the entire story forward. Alternatively, you could focus on Goldmoon and Riverwind, who have done such a wonderful job at the very beginning of Dragons of Autumn Twilight, being this mysterious peoples that is different than everyone else all around them. You don't really know about the Kweishu culture. All you know is that these are two people from wildly different classes that should never be together, but because of their love for each other, they were spurned by their culture, and they are complete outcasts. If you focused on that dynamic, you could have a really, really great three-story arc, or you know, three-episode arc, or, or have that be a heart that Weiss and Hickman wanted to be the real glue of the Dragonlance saga, but of course that ended up being... Tannis and them because they didn't know whether they're going to do another book after the first book and so they did the the wedding at the end and sort of lost that thread of the storyline um appreciate that uh again Ryan man so except for Game of Thrones Hollywood can't do fantasy Wheel of Time oh that was a nightmare Rings of Power mm, Willow ah <laughs> absolute disaster by the way you read Cimmerillion and um, Rings of Power is trash. Oh, really? It breaks the lore. Ah, see, I didn't know that. That's unfortunate. Uh, Ryan's a genius. <laughs> You're a genius, man. It's official now. 
All right, so let's see. Um, you live in a golden age of fantasy media, movies and shows, and yet all sadly terrible quality. And Dungeon, to your point, I think it is because we're trying too hard to instill modern sensibilities in something that is timeless fantasy. It's not supposed to be of our medieval era or our reimagined medieval era. It's supposed to be an entirely different world with different sensibilities and different beliefs and everything, you know? Um, let's see. Mayonnaiseum. I hope that's your name of your channel because you just really love mayonnaise and you just do reviews of different brands of mayonnaise from like obscure places around the world. Yeah. Oh, I hope that's why. <laughs> Thanks for joining live, by the way. Great name. Uh, Apocalypse Dan. That's a great name too. Uh, TV series is true to the game and the TV show pulled off the same quality. Yeah, that was really great. I, I loved that series so much. Um, let's see. They did the second age of Middle Earth in Lord of the Rings, uh, the Rings of Power, and what they did to Willow. It's cool that people liked it, even loved it, but it broke your heart. Hey, me too. We're broken hearts together. Twinsies. Oh, yeah. Nah, your sisters couldn't pronounce your name. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> All right, man. Okay, so um, I think that's enough for the personal introduction. Uh, let's talk about our favorite edition of game to play Dragonlance in. And I think anyone who's played all of the editions of Dungeons and Dragons thus far definitely has a favorite. Now, maybe that favorite is because of nostalgia or because of the group you were playing with or because of this particular storyline. Maybe it has something to do with mechanics, maybe not. We all can definitely say, no, this is my favorite version. For some people, it's fifth edition. I don't understand why, but for some people it is. Um, for me, and I'm going to give you reasons why. For me, the reason, uh, I'm sorry, the, the edition that I love best is Advanced Dungeons & Dragons before the 1.5, before DLA Dragonlance Adventures. And that's because of the game mechanics of Dungeons & Dragons, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons at the time. So, as soon as they brought in non-weapon proficiencies, in my opinion, they completely destroyed the creativity that the game forced you to have. Like, when you, were, when you were playing Dungeons and Dragons out of those um, box sets, you know, the, the red box that I, I sort of cut my teeth in, if, if you're going to do something, you had a higher chance of dying than succeeding at whatever it is you're trying to do. So you had to take your time, go slow, check for traps, check around corners. You had to hide in the dark. You had to douse your torches. If you, what if you heard like a noise? You had to search for secret rooms. You know, I mean, it was, it was a dangerous, deadly, but exciting game. As soon as they brought non-weapon proficiencies into the game, they said, well, these are things that you can do. Which implies that you can't do them if you don't have them. And that limits creativity from the player. So, you know, we would be playing and we would have to think, okay, if we're going to go into a dungeon, we, we got to rope, we got to have a pole, we need mirrors. We need holy water. We don't know if there's going to be undead down there. You know, we need to make sure that we have enough gear that we can survive this thing. And if we can't, if we get in there and we realize we're missing something, we would leave, go all the way back to town, and then hope we didn't have a random encounter on the way back to town, pick up the equipment you needed, and then head right back out, hope you didn't have a random encounter. Healing was so hard. It took so long to heal. If you ran out of spells, you can't just go to sleep in a, in a dungeon, there's wandering monsters. <laughs> so you had to really, really think about, okay, how far can we go down before we're going to have to come right back out because the spellcasters, the priests are going to be out of their spells and the fighters are going to be too low on hit points. You really had to plan it. As soon as you start getting non-weapon proficiencies in there, then you start really hyper-focusing on mechanics of the game. You start hyper-specializing your characters in ways that you never really did before. And that can bring immersion to a lot of people, but it also says, and, and I think we saw this really wonderfully in my last, uh, yesterday's game, if it's not on your sheet, then you don't think about doing it. Um, and just, you know, as an example, and this is not to denigrate anyone. Everyone has different play styles and different things they like to do. This is just my interpretation of one single event, and that's it. If you have armor on, 
and you're worried about trying to sneak to somewhere because your armor might make noise, take your armor off. That's it. Just take your armor off. Stuff it in your backpack. Make sure it's nice and tight. And, you know, use your rope if you have to to tie things down on your backpack. Just like you're going to go on a camping trip. You know, you have to tie everything down to make sure it's nice and contained in your backpack. And then sneak. Then when you get to where you're going, pull it out. Put all your gear on. It'll make a little bit of noise, but it makes the sneaking part of it infinitely easier because you don't have to worry about the clanging and the negatives that you're going to get by wearing the armor. The idea that you you can't alter your situation or your, your character simply because it says on a sheet that you're wearing this, I mean, put stuff down, leave it behind. You know, I mean, there, yes, it means that if you're caught in the open and you have to fight, you don't have your armor on. But sometimes you have to take those risks. Um, little things like that. You know, there's just so many different ways to get around a situation. Definitely not one-sided. And so when I'm like running a game, I'm leaving it wildly open. I don't know what creative things that the players are going to come up with. They might come up with something that I could never imagine. I just have to be able to act on my feet with a basic understanding of the rules behind me, but more importantly, an understanding of the motivations about what's the environment, what the characters in the environment, the non-playing characters and the monsters, what their motivations are. So that when the heroes pull something out of their ass and do something like just wild, I know how those other characters are going to react because I know their motivations. And that's really what Advanced Sons and Dragons, for me, allowed. It allowed you, and, and, and not so much as allowed, but it forced you to really examine situations. Um, so, Ryan, uh, you meant AD&D, so you had an Im immersely role-playing. It's meant AD&D, sorry for the mistype. Oh, I think I missed your original comment there. Let's see. Uh, you're going to see the D&D movie opening night with your son and dad. Very excited. You're going to enjoy it, even if it sucks. That's awesome. I mean, just having the experience is going to be awesome, you know? Especially, you know, with your kids. Oh, gosh, I, I loved it when I could, like, show my son a film that I really loved, and then he would respond to it positively. Ah, oh, it's the best. It just feels so good. Um, okay, so anyway, you know, as far as Dungeons & Dragons goes, I think first edition is my very, very favorite. Once you look at the other editions after that, if you're going to like rank them, right, from, from favorite to least favorite, because Advanced Dungeons & Dragons originally was so open-ended that it really forced creativity, once you start to narrow that down, second edition was really the second best, in my opinion. It allowed you enough sort of hyper-focusing to really tailor a specific type of character so that you knew what your 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 skills were you knew what your drawbacks were but it didn't go into insane detail like third edition did third edition was like the the math kids dream of a game system like i i played with people that would go they wouldn't create a character that was creative they would create a character with a specific action in mind and so they would use like if let i'm for argument's sake Let's say a trident did three more damage than a short sword for some reason. They would go with the trident. Were they raised around a seafaring peoples where they would naturally be able to find a trident? No. They would just choose that because it did the most damage. And I think that is toxic to role-playing, personally. Power building is arguably the worst expression of role-playing. For me, simply because you're no longer thinking about character and story, you're thinking about build. You're thinking about max DPS per round. That is the worst game style for me. I can't imagine ever playing a game like that. It's, it's not fun at all. I know people find that fun, and that's good for them. But for me, it's just... There's no challenge. There's no skill. It's just I do... I maximize my DPS per round no matter what, and, like, I just, I hate, it's, like, saps the fun out of role-playing for me. I would rather play a wizard at first level who has three hit points 
and can't get in any combat and has to hide behind everyone in every situation than play someone that was just finely honed and tuned in to be the best, most powerful person ever. It's just not fun. Like, just go masturbate because that's all you're doing. <laughs> in my opinion. All right, it's a good thing to make bad characters, bad meaning non-optimized. Yeah, and it, the thing is, is in any novel, the reason why you love characters is because they have flaws. So then why wouldn't you apply that to a game about role-playing? <laughs> you know? I just, I don't understand that. Anyway, that's my opinion. Let me know, what's your favorite um, edition of the game? Is it... D&D, AD&D, 2nd Edition, Saga System, 3rd Edition, 4th Edition. I played Dungeon, I played Dragonlance in 4th Edition and it wasn't even supported. 5th um, Edition, or maybe you're going to move it forward to 1 D&D. Oh, here's a good question for you. Let me know in the comments. Are you looking forward to 1 D&D with Dragonlance in mind? I think this is probably the worst time for Dragonlance for real not for fandom i think there now we actually get to all hang out and do some you know fun conversations and what ifs and debate and argue and in some cases have flame wars about you know the the ip of what dragonlance campaign setting is or should be or whatever what the favorite novel is you know whatever like that but as far as being supported by the 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 game creator it's the Wild West right now because all they did was release one source book slash adventure. It was really more of an adventure than anything. And then they just opened it up to the community. Now you've got every Tom and Dick and Harry creating Dragonlance content and selling it online. So there's no standard for what is good Dragonlance and what is bad Dragonlance, what is right Dragonlance and what is wrong Dragonlance. And that's not to say that there should be, only that if everyone is putting out stuff, how could you possibly filter through that for your game? Like, if you're new to Dragonlance, how would you ever know what to play? Between what Dragonlance Nexus has put out and Splinterverse Media, but and then also every single other provider in between, and then modules being uh, re-released by fans uh, changed up to 5th edition from 1st edition or 2nd edition. It's just the Wild West. Y just because there's a conversion doesn't mean it's a good one. <laughs> Just because there's a, a source book set out doesn't mean it's good. So the only way to do it is to try them and play them. And meanwhile, you're having crappy Dragonlance sessions based on rule systems that aren't going to be there in a month or arguably next game session because someone's going to find a new source book that they want to pull from. In my opinion, it was always best. And of course, it's why they went out of business and why they're not doing it anymore. But it was always best when, if it wasn't Sovereign Press releasing it for 3.5 edition, then it was just TSR releasing it officially, full stop. That way there's no question. I just like official material better than fan material anyway. But that's just me. What do you guys think? Do you like the idea of, of fan material? Showing your age, second edition. Hell yeah, dude. Second edition was a good one. Uh, you're a little out of the loop. What's 1 D&D? So, Willem, thanks for joining live. Um, 1D&D is the next version. It's D&D 6, but they're calling it 1D&D instead of D&D 6. Um, and it's just taking everything of 5th edition and reining it in. From what I've played so far with 5th edition, and I do not have a lot of experience, um, it's like superhero Dungeons & Dragons. And that is flying in the face of the fact that I just almost had a total player kill. <laughs> session last yesterday but like it's it's very very difficult unless you're throwing insurmountable odds at heroes to challenge them and so finding that correct balance of player ability versus um enemy challenge so that they could easily be overcome but with a little creative ingenuity the heroes can win every time or or at least have a good chance that's difficult to do, in my opinion, in 5th edition. Again, that might be because I, I haven't played it very long, but I just, I'm not really enjoying the game mechanics that much, personally. And, and it sort of saps my joy of dungeon mastering, which sucks, because I love playing this game. I don't love arguing with players. I don't enjoy 
rule freaking out, you know, like that side of it I hate. But that's in every edition. So that's just par for the course, right? I don't know. Fifth edition to me is, is rough. So the idea with sixth edition, I think, is to try to fix some of the problems that are inherent in fifth edition and create a universal game system until they create a new one. I know they're saying that they're going to just be done with 1D&D, but that's stupid. They will never be done, ever. You started with fifth edition and you're now looking to get into some of the older editions. That's going to be a challenge, I think. Um, and maybe other people who started with fifth, let me know your experience on this. Going back... <laughs> Going forward is easy because the game gets simpler. Going back, the game gets exponentially more challenging because it forces you to think differently. Moving forward from AD&D to 5th edition, you have to think less and just say, okay, well, this is what it says I can do, so I'll just do what it says I can do. You know, everyone can heal to some level. Everyone can have, like, special superpower hits. Everyone has some sort of, like, magical something. Whatever. Like, that's the addition. But going back, survivability is very low. People would come to the gaming table with multiple character sheets because the chances of you dying are very, very high. So you got to be careful. You got to take your time. So th that's what I'm saying is the sensibility is to go back to older games. It's, it's very similar to saying you like a modern game like The Last of Us, and then you're going to go back and play Champions of Kryn hugely different game mechanics, hugely different like just sensibility in how to play the game. The amount of time it takes to get through one single encounter is much larger in AD&D than it is in 5th edition. So it's just a totally different way of thinking. Um, hey, Goldman, how you doing? Good to see you. Let's see, 1D&D seems like a giant step backwards toward the optimization course. Oh, really? See, I haven't been following it. I just, I, I just know that they're doing it. Um, with the dumbing down of 4E. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> not looking forward to it. <laughs> At all. <laughs> yeah, Willems, you start with 5th, but you only got to play a few low-level games due to scheduling conflicts. I feel you, man. I feel you. I'd like to play more, but... It's hard to get the group together, you know? So let's see. Ryan started way at the beginning in 1982. Showing your age. Played mostly AD&D and 2nd Edition, especially when the first Dragonlance modules came out. Yeah. God, that was a magical time. Those original modules, they were just so special because they were so different than everything else that was out there, That at least that my group played with. I mean, we didn't really understand all the rules anyway. I was a kid. You know, we were like going to Boy Scouts meetings one day. And then like after Boy Scouts, we'd go to my buddy's house whose brother owned the mod, the, the game books. And then we would just sort of play through them thinking we knew what we were doing. But going like reflecting back, we were probably doing everything wrong. But we were having fun. So that's all that really mattered. Um, let's see. Yeah, it was great. So anyway, um, yeah, I think every edition has its benefits and its drawbacks. And I think it's fun to explore different editions. And even if you're like, how many of you have played uh, Dragonlance games in different systems other than the ones that it's been supported? Meaning like Pathfinder or, you know, whatever other gaming systems out there there are. Like, have you, have you tried to do Dragonlance in those? Like, the only ones that I have done were on this channel where it's the D&D Adventure System, the sort of board game that it was uh, the Curse of Strond or Castle Ravenloft is what it was called. So it, it wasn't even a Dragonlance board game, but we would just play Dragonlance stories with the board game. And then we did a little mini campaign with Rash of, uh, Wrath of a Shardalon as well. And those are all on this channel. You can check them out. They're, they're kind of fun. Like, I like that board game system. And I enjoyed 4th Edition. I thought it was, you know, at the time, I was playing EverQuest. Well, I stopped playing EverQuest by the time that came out. But I had that experience of when EverQuest first came out, I was stationed over in Germany uh, in the military. And so when I got off duty, it would just be me and my wife playing with my friends back home, rocking old school EverQuest. It was a ton of fun. But MMOs put that style of play in my mind so that years later when fourth edition came out it was easy to step into because i had already been thinking about mmos and you know the, just the sort of mentality of area of effect and tactical combat and stuff like that 
it made playing fourth edition infinitely easier and more relatable than playing regular Dungeons and Dragons had ever before, just because I had that primer in my head already. You'd homebrewed Dragonlands for 5e before the new books were released. Really interesting. So playing Dragonlance in basic fantasy. I'm not even familiar with what basic fantasy is. I know there's old school essentials. I don't know who does basic fantasy. That's interesting. Uh, as a DM, there's still ways of giving the players a challenge and a little knuckle white stress in 5e. And some players want to feel like superheroes. Yeah. And that's the other part of... of and if you're a dungeon master, you, you have to know this. Different players have different styles that they enjoy playing in. Some will bend those sensibilities in order to play the game, but they're not really enjoying themselves as much as they would if it was their style of play. And so what I try to do with every one of my games that I play is have a fair amount of role-playing. So for those players who really, really like to get into, dig into role-playing, I'm one of them, they get their teeth wet and they feel good about it. For and then, of course, you have to have the really great epic battles. It's Dungeons and Dragons, after all. And so you, you try to set up the situations, and then you're, you're role-playing while you're doing the combat. So the people that just want to do the math and the massive damage and, you know, tactically maneuver and play, they're taken care of with the combat itself. The role-playing people are getting their um, little fun with the interaction of the monsters while you're fighting them. And this is something that I don't see a lot in a lot of other games that I, um, I, I've watched, and that is role-playing while you're in combat. No one's quiet when you're fighting. Have you ever watched a fight in real life? If it's like UFC, yes, they're quiet because it's a professional thing and they're just doing their deal. But like in backyard brawls, first of all, it always ends up wrestling, so <laughs> not really fighting. You know, it's just submitting. But second of all, you're always talking smack. And so I always thought, if you're fighting a creature that can emote, it's going to be emoting. It's going to be growling at you or snarling or, or feeling confident in a moment or maybe feeling a little more terrified in another moment. And those cues, whether they're just emotive from the physical form of the creature, if it cannot speak or if it can speak in the language that it speaks, are then sharing those ideas out there. Maybe not intentionally, but in the same way that you have actors that accidentally say pew, pew, pew when they're firing guns on set, characters, while they're fighting, are going to be like, come on, die, oh my, I'm going to kill you. You're going to be saying stuff. And so role-playing while you're doing it, I think, is just a great way to include everyone at the table uh, in even the most combat-centric moments. It can get a little tiresome if the combat goes on too long. And I start running out of, in my imagination, if it's like a two-hour combat round, you know, I mean, that gets tough. But it just adds a little bit more fun and color and flair to the entire experience. So you love OSR games that take newer streamlined approach, but still like elements of older games, even death, simplified rules, magic feels powerful, rare. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, let's see. Play Dragonlance of Basic Fantasy. Uh... You've been going for four years now come next month. Wow! With the same game? That's crazy. You seem to be doing pretty well with 5e as you've been running and streaming. Shed oh, I appreciate that, Apocalypse. I really do. It's a challenge for me, if I'm being honest. It is actually a really big challenge. Mainly because I don't like what it did to Dragonlance. It changed it, you know? And I'm, I'm precious <laughs> about Dragonlance as long as the players are having fun and as long as they're challenged and as long as they let me know what they like or don't like, I, 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 what I hate more than anything else, and I haven't experienced it yet, and I'm hoping I don't, is players who just play because they want to play the game, not because they're enjoying it. That drags everything down. You know, if, if you don't participate verbally in the game and you're just sort of sitting back and not really contributing unless it's your turn to like smack something why are you playing the game go play a video game you know like Dungeons and Dragons role-playing specifically but Dungeons and Dragons is about a shared experience you need to be a part of that you have to step out of your shell and talk about what your character thinks 
share your ideas. It may be in stark contrast to what the other people in the group think or want to do, but that's because it's your character and not theirs. Just like in life, you don't always have to agree to go along. And I think playing your characters, some, what makes the Heroes of the Lance so great is that ha arguably three-fourths of the Heroes of the Lance hate Raceland Majir in one moment or all the time. And yet, they still hang out with him. They still go to him for advice. That's a good group dynamic. You don't all have to be single-minded about the goal. The only reason why Raceland went to Zach Saroth was to grab Fisknaus' book. That's it. For a selfish reason for his own. But he went with the group. And he helped the group when he went. You know what I mean? So that's, that's what's great about it, is that you don't always have to go to get along. You don't always have to be the same alignment. But you do have to go for this, like, the, the end, like, goal, you know? Whether that goal is for you to get a book and everyone else to then um, get the Dissimisha call or, you know, discover the gods again or what, whatever your motivation is. You all have to work together, but you're going to end up in the same place even if you disagree along the way. Um, you tried role-playing in combat once but forgot to because you couldn't think of any good lines. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. And that's the other part of it is improv in D&D &D is amazing when it's good. And it is a nightmare when it's bad. And the only way that you get good, and I'm not saying I'm good at all. I just, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm mediocre. I'm, I'm acceptable at, at this stuff. But thinking on your feet and being able to react in a moment it, not everyone can do it. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes you have no idea. Like I was, I'm playing a, an Army of the Darkness Evil Dead role-playing game and trying to think of what the Deadites would say in any given moment is really difficult for me because there's like five go-to lines that they ever say in a, a film of the Evil Dead franchise, right? And so you want to create fresh and be violent and rude and, a, you know, debasing and, and mocking and but it gets a little bit exhaustive sometimes. So sometimes you just stop. You know, you, maybe you go a couple rounds without antagonizing the, the players, and then you come in with one that you've been thinking about. It doesn't always work. And arguably, it's probably frustrating for players if you are doing it every single time. So as long as you're just peppering the experience with a little bit of role-playing, I think that's probably the best approach that one could, one could take. So you probably didn't help that you were trying to play as the vow taste the wrath of yeah dude if you're speaking like archaic old english or something <laughs> that would be difficult i can pull that off so hats off to you for trying man <laughs> that's awesome all right that's kind of, oh i've hit an hour already um my plan is to keep these around an hour just hang out have a good time once a week so next week i'm not sure if i'm going to do the trivia game or not um it is coming up but I'm going to do one of these. I'm going to try to get someone to come and join me on some of them. I hope you'll tune in and uh, we can just sort of geek out about Dragonlance together once a week and just have a good, casual, fun time. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, as always, uh, just please subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the video, ring the bell and stuff. Not so much for me, even though, yeah, it is for me. Uh, it's so that other Dragonlance fans can discover this channel. It's amazing to me that I look at the analytics and 60% of the people that watch my content are not subscribed. And that's not to say that they should, but if they did, then the videos would be pushed out to other Dragonlance fans that don't know about it yet. And so the more people that are subscribed and that do engage with these videos, the more other people find out about them. It's an exponential growth model that YouTube has chosen and it's just what you need in order to get it out there. I don't use social media at all. This is the only social media I have. And so it's really the only way I can grow it. So thank you all so much for paying attention, for spending time with me. I really do appreciate you guys tuning in live. You have your own lives and you chose to spend an hour with me talking Dragonlance on Sunday. I dig it. I appreciate you. Um, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance saga. And thank you for spending your time celebrating it with me. Once again, my name is Adam with Dragonlance Saga. And until next time, Slanjavar. And for those of you who have asked what Slanjavar means, it's Scottish Gaelic for good health. It's just like a cheers. <laughs>